Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Public Matters. I am your host, Marina Castellanos. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Tiaba Ahmed on the show to discuss the hypertonic pelvic floor. Dr. Ahmed is a doctor of physical medicine and rehabilitation who was born and raised in New York. She completed the Bachelor of Science Dr. Osteopathy program at New York Institute of Technology and was trained at the New York College of Osteopathic Medicine, Northwell Health Plainview Hospital, and the NYU Langone Medical Center Rusk Institute for Rehabilitation. A board-certified physical medicine and rehabilitation physician, Dr. Ahmed is also a fellow of the Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and a member of the International Public Pain Society. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Dr. Ahmed. Thank you for having me. And I also want to let listeners know that you are actually a contributing author to a textbook um, which physiatrists use during their training, correct? Yeah, so it was a cool opportunity. I had to uh, write a chapter on pelvic pain and um, when this textbook, the first edition came out, I was in residency and it was one of the texts we got as like, uh, you know, during our training, it really had nothing on pelvic pain. And then by the second time there was something on it. And then this was the third edition and I got an opportunity to edit that and, you know, delve more into pelvic pain into the chapter, which was pretty cool. Cause you know, when you're in training and you're reading these books and now I'm sitting here writing one of the chapters in it. So it, it, it's an honor. So cool. And I'll make sure that we put the name of, you know, that book and your chapter title um, in the show notes when we go, when I go to publish the broadcast. So um, make sure we include that. So again, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, I invited you on the show really to discuss what the hypertonic pelvic floor is. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what the pelvic floor is, you know, I'm referring to that hammock of muscles that run from your pubic bone all the way around back to your tailbone. It has several functions. And if you go back in the podcast and listen to the second episode, I go into more detail and depth about what the pelvic floor does. Um, but right now I want to get into with Dr. Ahmed, um, what is the hypertonic pelvic floor? So uh, the pelvic floor, well, I, when I talk to my patients in very layman's terms, I try to explain that the pelvic floor can, it can be uh, loose in a weak form, or it could be tight in a weak form, and both are weak. Um, and a lot of patients assume that when giving birth or all the time, their pelvic floor is just loose. Um, they don't understand that there is this version of a pelvic floor that's tight and that the hypertonia um, or hypertonic pelvic floor is essentially when it's tight, there's a inability for the muscles to expand and contract. Um, they are tense and weak and the blood flow is then restricted. And it, as we know in medicine, when there's a restriction in blood flow and oxygenation, you there's, you know, oxygenation is down, there's a decrease in acidity, so the pH is down. I'm sorry, there's an increase in acidity when the pH goes down. And then the inflammatory cascade starts. So it's, it's like, a, it's a, I always say it's like a hot mess kind of situation when your pelvic floor is just hot and bothered. And, you know, if, it's imagine if you had your shoulders up by your you know, your neck up by your, 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 your chin, and you're walking around like that all day long, but, it, but down in your pelvic floor. 
Um, and so really the main goal is to try to relax the pelvic floor and get it back to the neutral position, which is not necessarily too tight or not necessarily too loose. Right, I think that's a great description of what the hypertonic pelvic floor is. Um, and really, the pelvic floor muscles are just like muscles anywhere else in the body, like you were saying. So in order to have healthy muscles, we definitely want strength, but we also want flexibility. So that we do encourage that circulation, that oxygenation, um, and people tend to forget about the pelvic floor muscles just because they're not in our line of vision. Exactly. You know, just as our, you know, shoulders or, you know, thigh muscles or something like that. Um, so how would somebody maybe suspect that they have a hypertonic pelvic floor and who normally checks for it? So a hypertonic pelvic floor usually is, presents with a little bit of pain. So if a patient is not necessarily having a ton of pain, does that mean they can't have a hypertonic pelvic floor? No, they can. Um, but the ones that I, when they come in and they tell me when we're doing our history and physical, I can get a sense that they already have probably a hypertonic pelvic floor just by some of the description of their symptoms. Um, but that being said, I have definitely been wowed when I go in for my exam and you know, I, I go in thinking, okay, well, this person's probably, you know, very tight or, or very loose. And when I go in for the exam, that's when it really tells me what I'm good at, what I'm seeing. So you really can't uh, just assume your pelvic floor is normal or loose or tight or, you know, underactive or hyperactive just based on anything. You actually have to have it examined, which is why, I tell people all the time, even after childbirth, before you go straight to doing exercises, make sure you're having your body examined, whether it's from a physical therapist, a pelvic physical therapist, or a pelvic physiatrist, or a GYN, but, um, or OB, uh, assuming they are know how to examine the pelvic floor. Um, I've had patients who are gynecologists who tell me that they were never trained to do that, and that is why many gynecologists and OBs miss the diagnosis of pelvic floor dysfunction because they are mostly focusing on the uterus and the ovaries and the cervix, and many times they totally, um, you know, miss the diagnosis. So, you know, it there is no there is no reason not to get a further um, you know, examination by a therapist or by someone else. That's so true. And I hope everybody listening really um, takes to heart what you just said, that not every physician, especially OB um, or gynecologist, was really trained in examining um, the pelvic floor. Um, so really, a lot of times, you know, they have to refer out for that if there's a complaint or something that a woman has, especially if they're giving birth. I mean, I think everybody should go see a pelvic floor physical therapist afterward. Um, but really, um, you know, a lot of women want to jump straight to strengthening. They want to jump to Kegels. Um, exactly. But that's going to be, that's the right thing to do because they've heard that from other women, maybe friends, you know, on social media, you know, wherever it is. And they think that that's just what you do after having babies. You just do Kegels and you're good to go. I know. And that, that actually kind of kills me a little bit because, um, you know, I've had patients who, will go straight from birth 
and they'll, you know, they'll have an appointment scheduled to see us and they'll say, oh, well, I already started my LV trainer and I'm already starting my Kegels. And they come to me and they're like really tight and they're like, but I'm having so much urinary frequency and pain and, and I'm having, you know, I had intercourse for the first time and I'm having pain with um, intercourse and I don't understand. And I, and I have to explain to them that I don't know now whether this started before you started the Kegels and the strengthening or whether this was results from something that happened during the pregnancy or during the delivery. And that doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, we're gonna, the treatment is gonna be the same. But I, it, now I have to delve more into the pre-prior history to make sure there is no history of anxiety or any falls on their tailbone to kind of figure out whether they could have had a pre-existing hypertonic pelvic floor prior to, to pregnancy. Right. That's so true. And I do find that pregnancy will bring out past injuries um, and make them either suddenly painful where there was no pain before or painful again after the pain had subsided. Um, can you share with listeners, how do you actually check the pelvic floor? Do you use any kind of instrumentation? Is it just done with a manual examination? So um, when all of my exams, I start with a lumbar spine exam. Uh, I'll have them stand, we'll do some floor flexion, extension, um, rotation, then I'll, you know, palpate their SI joint, um, the greater trochanters in their hips, I'll ask them to lift their knees up and examine their hips and see if there's any instability. Um, and then we'll, after the hips, I might do some, you know, maneuvers while they're on the table. And then I will start palpating on the external. So I will palpate around their ilioinguinal region. I'll palpate over their genitofemoral nerves around their pubic bone, um, externally um, near their sit bones and along the outside of their genitals. And then I will do an internal exam with my finger, obviously gloved with lubrication. Um, and you know, depending on how pain, how much you know, how tight or hypertonic the patient is. I may be in there for 10 seconds. I may be in there for 30. Uh, I'm usually not in there for more than a minute um, because, you know, you can get a sense of how tight they are just by palpating the right side, the left side. If they're in a lot, if they're tolerating the exam, I might go up to the obturator internus and go down to the coccyx and feel around. If they're obviously very squeamish or feel uncomfortable, I'll just come in and out because, you know, some women have, you know, vaginismus and they're presenting with that hypertonia and they're, they kind of just cl clench up right then and you can't even really get too far in. Um, so yeah, it's all without instrumentation just a glove and finger and we try to make it not a traumatizing experience. And obviously if a patient doesn't want to have exam an internal exam the first visit, um, but that does definitely help with the exam. And um, if they prefer, which most women don't, we could always go in rectally to examine the muscles as well. Um, but we, if they have a tailbone issue, obviously that's where we go first. If they, you know, I, then we do both anyway, but, um, yeah. Right. I mean, and I do rectal work in my practice as well. And although the first reaction, somebody's always a little squeamish, but then once we do it and there's relief, you know, they're so glad that um, they actually went for um, the rectal examination and therapy. Um, so, you know, really what this sounds like is that you do a holistic evaluation of not just the pelvic 
floor, but really of the pelvis, the hip bones, the spine. And let's explain to everybody why that's important. Because if you have a hypertonic pelvic floor, what can that lead to in other areas of the body outside of the pelvis? So understanding that your pelvic floor is connected to your core, it's connected, you're at the right outside. A lot of people think their bone right next to their, like to the side of their belly button is their hip. And that's not your hip. That's your anterior iliac, superior iliac spine. And that's part of your pelvis. So your hip is actually much further down. Um, and all, if you look at a pelvis, the hip location is right outside of your pelvic floor. And those muscles are all connected. If there is tightness in your hips, which many of our patients have, there's going to be concomitant tightness in your pelvic floor. If there's tightness in your core, um, you're going to have tightness there. Um, if there's instability of your core, it's going to all be connected. And I'm, a, I'm an osteopath, so I am one of those who believe that your body is a unit and everything is connected um, from your you know, head to your toes. There is a connection. Um, so just by training, I did my osteopathic medicine. I did train in all of those uh, manipulations. I don't use them as much now because I don't have the time in, in my hour and a half consult um, already. But, um, you know, I know there is a connection. I mean, it's a little bit harder to say your right eye is connected to your left toe, but, um, you know, there are parts of your, your thoracic spine that are now causing problems down in your pelvis. And, you know, uh, we'll often check for um, leg leg discrepancies because when, you know, someone might injure their, their hip, they might have a procedure and now their leg is, one leg is shorter than the other. And that is all connected to your pelvis. So that can cause, um, you know, a malalignment in the, in the way you walk and then therefore causing more issues and potential pelvic floor dysfunction. Patients can have labral tears. They can have, um, after childbirth, they, they can have a separation of their pubic bone, which can cause issues. Um, they could have many, many patients tell me they've had falls. So that's one of our questions is, uh, have you ever had a fall on your tailbone? Have you ever injured it? Do you remember a time where you were, you know, you fell and then you couldn't walk for like a few days or you might've gone to an ER and they checked it and they said, you're fine. And honestly, there's not much you can do for a tailbone injury. So you kind of just sat on ice for a week. And many of our patients do remember scenarios where their tailbones were injured. And then when they go to physical therapy or they get an exam and they realize, oh, my tailbone is not where it's supposed to be, or it's shifted, or it's, it's angled in a certain way, that can all um, be a result of um, their injury and then cause now tightness in their pelvic floor muscles near their tailbone. And I mean, it, it's all connected, so. It really is. And I think that's such an important fact to remember is that it's all connected. So when you're examining somebody for their hypertonic pelvic floor, it's important to look outside the body. But also if somebody comes in, you know, with the complaints of, you know, maybe low back pain or hip pain, that it's important to look at the pelvic floor as a contributing factor. So we really want to make sure we, we take a look at everybody's whole story and whole body and take everything into account. Um, so what are some examples of some treatment techniques that you use for people who come in with that tight and hypertonic pelvic floor? Is it mostly injections? So we 
obviously the first thing that we do is we have them get to physical therapy. You know, I've been in a scenario where I've had a, a hypotonic pelvic floor after my two children. And then I've been in a scenario where I've had a hypertonic pelvic floor. Um, and so I know that my first line was physical therapy when I went. And when I had, uh, whenever I have a patient who has not gone to physical therapy, that's my first line. Um, when they've already been to physical therapy and they feel like they make some progress, but then it gets worse or they stop doing their exercises or they don't do any manual work, they feel like things progress, you know, plateau, that's when we add things in. So that's when we may add a suppository to kind of help with the muscle relaxation. Um, there's a, there's suppositories that can be inserted vaginally or rectally, and um, with male, we obviously see that male patients, but with the men, um, they only have one entrance, and with the women, we have two options. A lot of women don't necessarily like putting things in their rectum, um, but with the with the with vaginally, there is no sphincter holding that suppository in. So for many of those patients, they are they have drippage of the suppository and. Mm -hmm. They don't really like the way that feels. So many, many times I tell them to use it rectally just so, yeah, and also sometimes the pH can be um, disturbed by the suppository. So uh, we'll often say use it rectally, but essentially we wanna, if, you know, if they're having tailbone pain, I may say use it rectally, or if they're having more vaginal discomfort, I might say use it vaginally. And then, you know, if that, those are things aren't helping, you know, we could try a different concoction of the suppository. If that's not working, we could try trigger point injections. Um, that is not like both. It, it's kind of like Botox, except it's not. Um, Botox is actually there to totally stop the muscle from moving. Um, so trigger point injections is way more conservative. Um, it's essentially like needling with a acupuncture needle. Uh, we use a small thin needle and we're going into the muscle externally. So we're not going in the vagina um, because we're not, no, we're not trained as gynecologists. So uh, we're going in through using landmarks through ultrasound guidance and getting to the pelvic floor. We're needling it and, and it's kind of like if you have a really tight spasm and all of a sudden you put a needle in it, it relaxes it. Uh, so it's, it's decreasing muscle tension and in a relatively safe and effective way, we'll use normal saline, which is essentially salt water mixed with lidocaine, which is the local numbing anesthetic. Um, sometimes if the patient has never had it, we might try a steroid. Um, but you know, there's well, more often than not, I feel I'm doing more normal saline lidocaine injections than steroids because steroids can cause decrease, uh, um, cause muscle degradation. And also with everything going on right now, I feel like everyone's, you know, metabolics are off and, you know, we don't want to throw off anyone into a now diabetic fit with um, having high sugars. So we don't use steroids, especially, you know, some people complain of headaches with steroids or complain of, um, you know, feeling flushed or, you know, their steroids do have a you know, a better efficacy. So if a patient is willing to try it, we would use that. Otherwise we do the normal saline quite often. Um, and we also are blocking the nerve when we're doing that. And so patients who have any nerve involvement are, are getting that dual benefit. And then I'm just trying to think what else we do we do? I mean, we don't do Botox because of the risk of incontinence if it gets too loose, but um, I, we do have colleagues that do do it and we often refer it as a last option. Um, and 
essentially uh, we I talk I talk to patients about the wand and I, I tell them to go to the therapist and and have them teach, train you to use it so that in between therapy sessions they can learn how to use it um, especially during this pandemic patients have been surviving on their wands because they haven't been able to get into PT, uh, but now that things are better, or they're, or they're learning how to do it on telehealth, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been using telehealth with patients. Um, I mean, even before the pandemic started, but definitely more so after. Um, and I wanna just clarify for listeners what Dr. Ahmed is talking about with the wand. Um, a therapeutic wand is, is really a tool that somebody can use on themselves to help to work on their hypertonic pelvic floor, um, you know, with guidance from a pelvic floor physical therapist to make sure that they're doing it correctly and that they don't um, induce any kind of injury. But therapeutic wands are great. They can really, um, you know, help somebody along with, you know, loosening their pelvic floor up and um, making headway with their home program. So I am a fan of, you know, the wands and the dilators and all those things. Uh, we could spend a whole show just talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to have to. But also, I, I just realized I I guess I did say this without any, do not do it if you've never used it before with a therapist. Um, don't hurt yourself and don't, um, don't go in there for too long. I usually tell a patient one minute or less, um, you're trying to go um, as, as strong as if you were not, not to bruise a tomato. Um, so oh, that's, good. that's a good analogy. Just don't be aggressive because I have seen patients who hurt themselves with wands. And so I just was like, let's put that out there really quickly. Yes, no, absolutely. I always, um, you know, advise people, you definitely want to get educated in person and have practice, supervised practice time using a wand or a dilator with a pelvic floor physical therapist. So 100, 100%. Um, so what are some, you know, somebody finds that, you know, maybe they think they have a hypertonic pelvic floor or they were told by some kind of physician or a therapist they have a hypertonic pelvic floor and haven't had a chance to get treated yet. Um, what are some, you know, are there any simple changes that somebody can make just to their lifestyle to address that hypertonic pelvic floor? So uh, there are things that can increase uh, pain or in turn abdominal pressure that can cause your hypertonicity to get worse. Um, so number one, start with diaphragmatic breathing. Mm -hmm. So breathing in through your nose, put breathing out through your mouth. While you're breathing in through your nose, you're pushing your belly out. And when you're breathing, I'm saying it right, yeah. And when you're breathing out, you're pushing your belly back in. Um, that lowers your pelvic floor. And um, when people are in a flare, that can help get you out of a flare, depending on how good you are at diaphragmatic breathing. I find it hard to do. So I do it with my patients when we're doing like procedures um, and try to get them into the routine of it. But it's so easy when we've spent so many years of our life breathing the other way um, to, to have a hard time with, with diaphragmatic breathing. Um, so that's one thing. Um, changing your routine, if your exercise routine is uh, flaring you. Um, if you're finding that you're having more pain after you ride a bike or you're having more pain, you're, let's say you're an avid horseback rider and you're having pain and you're, you haven't put it together that you're sitting directly on your pelvic floor and that could be causing some of your pain. I actually was talking to a patient last week and I said, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of sports like catchers and horseback riders. And he's like, wait, I was a catcher my whole life. And I was like, well, there we go. <laughs> You know, it's really um, a lot. It's it's not necessarily fair or fun because a lot of these life these things that people enjoy 
are causing them to be flared. Um, but recognizing it and kind of putting a limit to it um, can, you know, especially when it's sitting. I mean, during this pandemic, we're seeing that people who are sitting 12 hours at a day and not getting much exercise, they're putting a lot of pressure on their pelvic floor and, you know, getting a standing table, which they may have already had at their work, um, but now they don't in their home because they don't have the space for it or they spent the money at their work and they don't want to spend it here. Um, you, you know, changing the way we, we work is actually um, important too. And I find myself sitting so much more now when I'm the busier I get and I have to remind myself to take a break and stand up because, uh, and so setting alarms on your phone to get up and move or like every 30 minutes is, is something that I've told patients in the past. Um, yoga, yoga is a great uh, exercise, you know, to do. A lot of people feel like it's boring or it's slow and they're not getting their endorphins up with it, but it can be very challenging if, you know, to hold a position in a, for a long period of time. And that being said, if you have restrictions in your neck or you have issues with your knees, don't, don't do a position that's going to hurt something else in your body. Um, but, you know, bridges and child's pose and breathing properly can actually help to relax your pelvic floor. And, and meditation, it, when patients, it's found to help significantly for patients if they're able to uh, essentially try to remember a time when they weren't in pain or, you know, change the way they think or their outlook on things. So if they can focus on their own meditation, that's been quite helpful as well. And then acupuncture for some people uh, can be very relaxing and actually work on the central nervous system as well. And, you know, for people who have already been going to an acupuncturist, sometimes um, the acupuncturist is willing to work on the, on the pelvic floor. And obviously that's based on their skill and their, um, you know, you can't necessarily expect them to do that if they've never done it before. So, uh, you know, making sure that they are fully comfortable in doing that. Um, so there's a couple of things there that could be helpful before you are able to get treated. I think those are really wonderful suggestions. And I especially love how you mentioned, um, you know, the workstation at home. I think ergonomics is such a big deal. And especially during quarantine, I was constantly emailing um, all of my clients, um, my patients past and present to say, make sure you're getting up from your, you know, work at, working at home office or wherever you're set up, you know, keep moving. I don't want anybody developing now, you know, back pain and carpal tunnel and all this stuff. So really modifying, um, you know, the workstation to make you as well supported as you can be is really so important. Um, and I definitely love the suggestion about the yoga and most people think the yoga means, um, you know, some of those poses that, you know, you might be straining something, but there's so much to say for restorative poses like child's mm -hmm. pose and, um, some of the other ones that really just bring so much relaxation to the pelvic floor. So I think that's so important, um, when people are trying to find, you know, things to work on at home. Okay, so we're getting to that time where we have to wrap up, but Dr. Ahmed, thank you so much for being on the show today, and I would love for you to share um, with everybody how people can reach you. So I am on Instagram uh, at Dr. D-R-T-A-Y Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D. 
Um, I'm also in our pelvic rehabilitation medicine group. Um, our website is pelvicrehabilitation.com and I am located in Manhattan, New York and Great Neck, Long Island. So um, uh, it's ironic that more patients have been coming to my Great Neck office because they don't feel comfortable taking mass transit during this time. Um, and you know, it's been nice because of you know parking. Yes. I feel like when I, I'm, I've been in the city for so long that I forgot how nice a parking lot is. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> so I'm there, and you know, obviously, you can always reach me on social media and on Instagram, but I'll definitely reach out on our website as well. Okay, excellent. So thank you so much again for being here. And everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pelvic Matters and check in for the next episode coming up soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Marina.